As we jump in today, I'm going to be speaking to you about time. I'm in a, a, a sermon series on time. It's going to go right through this time of Christmas, and we understand that that uh, uh, we've got a lot happening right now. I know there's a small team over in Mexico checking some things out for us in Mexico this morning, uh, some that are off skiing, um, not the youth, just some that are off skiing this morning, and and uh, uh, I think that's maybe Matt the Builder. I, I don't know, but, but the, the main thing this morning is talking about the time that we have, the time that we have together, this Christmas time. You know, we began this series last week, and we've all heard sayings such as, time is on my side, unless you live long enough. Then it's not on your side anymore. Many of us have said things like this, I don't have time for that. That's just setting up boundaries uh, but careful with those boundaries. They can be a little da- dangerous. The hourglass is running out of sand. Some of you have seen that. There's so much about time, and you know, we think we have a grasp on it, but then it's gone. And the things you look forward to, they come and they go. It's, it's like Christmas this year. We're looking so forward. One week from today is Christmas, if you didn't know that. So those of you have, who have waited to the last minute to do your shopping, you have now run out of time, all right? Just so you know, well, you got a little bit. Bless God for the little bit that he's given me. Okay, let's keep going, right? And, and last week we talked about time standing still, that really time doesn't stand still for anyone unless you're Joshua, and we're not. Sarah Evans stated, you know, she's a great theologian out there. I think she wrote the song, Suds in the Bucket. But she said, you can't fence time. So the most important thing we can do in life, church, is this, be on God's time. In our life, to be on God's time, because God's time never ends. He's an eternal God. He's about an eternal time, and he's about eternity with each and every one of us. If you would please stand for the reading of the scriptures this morning, I don't want to run out of time. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, this is important, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him, and He called together all the people's chief priests, the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. You may be seated. You know, when I look at this, it's, it's a curious time to be looking at this. Here we are, Christmas time. We're celebrating the Christmas story. And, and the Christmas story happened during King Herod's time. Now, King Herod was a very ungodly man. The first point I want to make this morning is no matter how ungodly the situation is, no matter how ungodly things seem, God's presence can still move among his people. And it will. 
Even under an ungodly rule, God still moves. He still intercedes on behalf of his people. You ever wondered in your life, why is this guy in charge? Yeah. I'm not even talking about me. Y'all are sitting there thinking I'm talking about me. And you're saying, like, yeah, we ask that question every week. I'm not in charge. This is Jesus' church or it's not the church at all. So, so here's the thing. But we do ask questions. Why are they in char- charge? Why is he in charge? You know, we know that kids oftentimes say, my dad doesn't know anything. Not my kids, but some of them might. Some of them might say something about their mother, that my mom is completely outdated. Why does my boss get to be the boss today? Who elected this derelict anyway? You may have said it. I mean, I think there are people in New Jersey. Anyway, let's keep going. I was speaking with one of you this week, and you were telling me how bad your boss is. And you really didn't like my reply. My reply was simply this. If he were any smarter, he wouldn't have hired you. We have a mission to accomplish regardless of whose time we're on. The clock continues to go. And many of us who are on Kronos time, who are on a temporal time, we watch the clock in everything that we do. And, and, and the, I know even in my own life, when I worked at the VA hospital, I had some ungodly leadership there. And, and I watched ungodly leadership and how they made decisions and how they made choices. And I'm not after the VA. I, I'm a patient at the VA today. But I, I, when I worked there, I used to go, golly, I, I would just watch the clock and be like, come on, five o'clock. Come on, just get here. And it'd be like 1.30. Some of you work in jobs like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And what happens is we begin to work for uh, our own time, our own kingdom, and we forget the mission at hand. God wants us to be on his time, even if it's during King Herod's time, church. Some of us have to work for ungodly bosses. Look, I've had wonderful bosses and I've had bad bosses. I've had bosses who were about God's kingdom and bosses who were about their own kingdoms. In the end, there's only one kingdom that will remain, and that is God's kingdom. It's amazing to me how so many of us don't recognize or realize that that we have an opportunity to be on God's time to be promoting his kingdom. We simply uh, uh, want our own kingdoms, we're about our own time, we're about our own plans, our own purposes, and we're not concerned about God's plan and his purpose or even why he created us in this thing we know as life. We're sitting here watching a nation decline, a once sovereign nation, now a nation that has no borders, a once free country, but now a debt that exceeds $31 trillion. You say, well, that's not slavery. Well, according to Scripture, it is. Somebody want to quote Proverbs for me? The borrower is slave to who? The lender. At some point in time, that comes due. We sit here and we say, um, a country that once had morals and values and set the tone for the world now embraces sin and just this week has legalized much of it. 
redefining marriage. You need to know I love America and I want the best, but the only eternal kingdom is God's kingdom. That's it. When men and women are left to their own devices, we turn inward and away from God. What's the problem with turning inward? I'll tell you, inwardly is selfishness. And what happens with selfishness, it's the very opposite of what Jesus teaches about. Jesus says that the greatest among you will be the servant of all, meaning that it's about others. It's about what's best for others. And when we turn inward, which is sin, we begin to build our own kingdoms because we feel like we matter more than God and his kingdom purpose. See, every kingdom is temporal with the exception of God's kingdom. So church, we have a great responsibility, even if we're the church during Herod's kingdom, if you will. We have a great responsibility. Maybe it was never supposed to be this way. Maybe if the church had been the church in the time that God called us to be the church, we wouldn't be in the situations in this world that we see today. But it doesn't change those who would continue to be on God's time. Herod had a kingdom, but here's what we need to know about Herod's kingdom. It lasted a long time, but it was still somewhat limited in its parameters. Herod was king of the Jews. That's amazing to me that Herod is king, but he's just king of the Jews. Have you ever thought of that? That in other words, there's, there, he's a king of a providence. And when I use providence in that way, I'm not talking about a godly providence. I'm talking about a state term, a providential area. And so he was, he was this king in this area. He looks like a Jew. He probably smelled like a Jew. Some Jews. They ate the same thing. They sweated the same thing. But history has a couple of different accounts about Herod. Herod was an Edomite. And you may not know what an Edomite was, but basically the way it worked, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac had a couple of sons. You remember the two sons battling back and forth all the way out of the womb. And, and finally, one by the name of Esau, he is the oldest. He sells his birthright for um, some malto meal. And he sells that birthright, and it creates a big problem. However, he still gets an inheritance, and his his inheritance is the land of Edom. And so he has this land of Edom, but the Jews don't really accept Edomites as Jews. There was another problem with Herod and him being the king of the Jews, if you will, and that was that his mother was actually from Petra. She was not considered a Jew at all. In order to be a Jew, you had to have a Jewish mother. So here we have someone who is in a godly position, if you will, but as ungodly as it comes. You've probably been there. You know how they feel and what they feel. Maybe it's your local job. Maybe it's your local position. Maybe it's the nation. Maybe it's where you're called to be, and you're serving in a nation, in a country that is very foreign to the God that we serve, and we don't see his kingdom come and his will being done. Maybe that's where you feel you are today. You know, Herod was the Roman governor of Galilee for about 10 years, and he did some incredible things there. That's really what promoted him with the Roman government. Matter of fact, he, he would go to war, and in war, he was a valiant warrior. 
Herod had a lot of things at first going for him. He would wind up being the king of Judea and would last there for about 37 years. Uh, Actually, depending on which historian, I believe he lasted um, to the third or fourth uh, year after Jesus' birth. But a couple of things more about Herod that we see oftentimes in our own lifestyles. Simply this, an ungodly man in a godly position. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. And this is exactly what's happening with the Jews at the time. So when God looks to intercede, when God pulls the flesh on and comes as this baby to be born to a virgin and comes to intersect the world, he's not intersecting, if you will, his kingdom. It's Herod's kingdom at this time. And many of us have served ungodly people in godly positions. Years ago, I like to share the story. I, I had two non-denominational churches that asked me to go and to uh, uh, come and be a part of them. One of them was a newly planted church. It was in a storefront. We would set up chairs every Sunday. This is in Sierra Vista, Arizona, just off Fry Boulevard. And we would set up these chairs, and I started helping them set up these chairs. And, and then the preacher would come in, and he would preach. He was bivocational. It was a lot of fun. But then about three months into it, we found out he was embezzling or taking all the money for himself. We served, we served in some ways a Herod who was in a godly position. Another time I was asked to go to a revival, and I, I lo- love to share this story. This is kind of kind of a funny story, but uh, we I go to this revival. This guy had been after me in the barracks time and time and time again to come to his church. They were having a revival. I go to his his church and the the first night in the revival, it was just it was it was fun to watch. I'm talking about it was they had this uh middle-aged preacher who had a white suit on and he had a big old pot belly and he would just dance across the stage and today I like to say now I'm that guy you know what in the world happened but he was comical the first night the next night he lined everyone up on the outside of the walls and he started going by and he was laying his hands on the people and praying over each person along the wall and as he would lay his hand on and pray for them um, some of them would fall out in the spirit uh, all kinds of things were happening, and I was just kind of enjoying the show till he got to one particular uh, woman, and he goes to lay his hands on her, and she dodges. And he tries again, and she dodges the other way. So he starts trying to cast out a demon that I don't know if it's there or not. As a matter of fact, I don't even know what's going on. So the husband be- gets involved. And the husband starts yelling at the preacher, telling him to get back. The preacher gets mad. And I'm talking about they are about to throw down in church. And my buddy's looking at me, and I'm like, this is awesome. I didn't know church could be like this. That church didn't make it. An interesting thing, neither one of those did. Because they were on a different time. Too many of us seek the pulpit. Too many of us seek the fame. Too many of us are looking for something that God never intended this to be. It's either for him and it's either going to bring his kingdom or it's on a limited time and for a limited time. Ungodly men in godly positions are out there. Ungodly women in godly positions are out there. And we must be careful, church, Because even though the Jews, some of them would recognize what was going on with King Herod, 
they, they, many of them would become disillusioned with God. And that's never the purpose of his kingdom. It should always bring clarity. We should want to serve no matter where we are. You know, I look at King Nebuchadnezzar and I look at Daniel and how he goes in and he continues to serve his God, even though his entire nation, where he's been taken captive, doesn't even speak his language. And yet he serves with all of his might and God wins. And King Herod, he was the king. He was a man who was supposed to represent God to his people. He was supposed to know their God. He was to keep the temple, to make sure the Jews were kept within Roman rule. He had to make sure that they would pay their taxes. But Herod was more concerned with being Herod the Great. And that's who he's known as. As a matter of fact, when you go and you read about King Herod, you'll find out he had the Herodian dynasty, which was an incredible thing that many people still said. The Romans still celebrate King Herod and how great he was but he was only the king of the Jews. Tiberius Caesar was the Roman emperor. In 31 BC, there was a massive earthquake and it hit the region. It destroyed the buildings. It killed hundreds. Many say it killed many, many thousands. Now at this time, Herod was not popular among the Jews. He was not popular among the people. So he came up with this great idea. It was called Build Back Better. It's no joke. This is not new. Nothing's new, right, under the sun, Scripture tells us. It really was. And he wanted to win their hearts back by building back better. And in Jerusalem, he constructed a new market, a theater, an amphitheater, a new meeting hall for the Sanhedrin. Who are the Sanhedrin? It's the Sanhedrin. They're the ruling council, if you will. There were 71 of them. And, And they would rule. They would make decisions based upon Jewish customs and laws. And so he built it back better. He built a new palace for himself in 20 BC. So we're 20 years prior to Christ being born. He rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem. And let me tell you, he didn't just rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. He built it back better. It was beautiful. He, he, he cut no expense to Jerusalem. He did it in his mind and in his ideas and in his words for the sake of the Jews. He built the port of Caesarea. And it's really still today known as his masterpiece. He was talented. He had a great ability. But he did not fear the Lord that he was called to serve. He wanted to build his own kingdom instead of the kingdom of the Lord. but, But listen, church, no matter what King Herod wanted, he could not prevent the providential hand of the Lord from happening. He would even try to prevent it. He would send out armies to kill all of the children in order to prevent the will of the Lord from happening. But it didn't. The people began to see through King Herod. Herod had a couple of things that jeopardized him early on. He was supposedly very handsome. And because he was very handsome, he took advantage of many, many people, including women. Herod had a sexual addiction. And though he couldn't hold that sexual addiction and look at it his hand and, 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 uh, scroll down to it or scroll, scroll down through it, he would set up tents where he could see it and do it in person. 
Herod had a major weakness. And the Jews saw through it. The people hated Herod because of his heresy. He would kill prominent Jewish families oftentimes if he felt like they were getting too prominent among the people. He would put on the people a taxation rate, a crazy taxation rate from 8.5% to 10.5%. We laugh at that today, folks. You may not know how much you're being taxed. I can help you if you want to talk to me afterwards. Herod would be married 10 times. Only three of his sons would remain after his own death. You know, Herod became paranoid, which honestly the Roman governors did too. If, if you're in my Bible study on Tuesday morning, men's, we're about to get to that this week, about how so many of the Roman emperors would just become uh, terrified at their state, afraid that someone was going to knock them off that they were going to be killed or that someone was going to steal their dynasty because they were all about leaving a legacy, a dynasty, building their own kingdoms. You know, to him who lives in fear, everything rustles is what Sophocles said. That's, that's, that's a neat statement because I know what they mean by that. When, when you live in fear, everything rustles. It, it, it ruffles. It, it's, everything ruffles you. It, you go outside and at night, and if you're afraid of the dark, you hear everything rustling. You can't get away from it. Did you hear that? What is this? This is how King Herod began to live his life. And so when you see this Jesus being born, when, when Herod is told, where is the king of the Jews? He understands it's supposed to happen, but he doesn't know much about it. Herod started to become paranoid. He even executes his own wife. He executes three of his sons. He's afraid of Cleopatra because Cleopatra wanted his territory. His own mother-in-law wanted her son to be king. So towards the end of his life, the hourglass was made known to him. His time is coming short. His time was limited. Herod lived a life in sexual sin. But at the end of his life, it is said that his own sexual sin from a sexual disease would begin to eat him from the inside out, and he would be left living with worms inside of him that would take him to his death. His death was so excruciating, as a matter of fact, that he tried to take his life a couple times, and it didn't work, because now his time was in God's hands. You see, the things that he should know. When the Magi appear to him, he doesn't know. Herod is afraid. Time is up. He grew old, but he never grew up. And that was the problem with Herod. The, the Jews understood time in two ways, church, during this day and time. The age of the law and prophets, and they knew that there was an age of the messianic kingdom to be ushered in. And when you read the scriptures, if you read through that lens, maybe it's a lens of the old sacrificial system, which is the old covenant, or the new messianic kingdom, which is the new covenant. When you read through that lens, you'll begin to understand some of the statements that even Jesus makes. But everything was viewed through this lens. So King Herod knows, okay, I know that there's an age to end and a new age to come. But I didn't know that age was going to happen in my time. I didn't realize that my time was actually on God's time. 
Church, that's an important statement for all of us. We're to keep our candles full of oil, if you will. Jesus makes a point, hey, when the Son of Man returns, because He is returning, we need to be ready because we don't know when our time is actually His time and these times are supposed to go together for His kingdom purpose. Now, all of a sudden, King Herod understands my time, my kingdom is up. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They are quoting Micah here, one of the miners who had a major, right? A minor prophet who had a major revelation. About 700 years prior to Jesus' arrival, the old age is closing and the new age is beginning. Remember, at this time, God has really been silent for about 400 years. But that doesn't change the Word of God. The Word of God, church, will come to pass. And so when we read the Word of God, we got to realize it's living and active as a two-edged sword. And that the time that we have is the time of the Messianic kingdom. That's the, that's the beautiful thing on this side of the cross. We are living where the Holy Spirit fills His temple. And He is looking for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because time does run out. And it's running out on a king. A king who has been king for 37 years. And 10 years prior to that was a governor. He has ruled for almost 50 years of his life. And now time is coming to a close. See, God's word will always come to pass, church. It's true. If it's not true, he's not God. It is true. I said this week in Bravehearts, something that really just came to me as I was driving to Bravehearts. We, we always want to say something that makes us sound so powerful, and it sounds like this. God is held accountable to his word. God must be held accountable to his word. One is you're not going to hold God accountable. But God is not going to be held accountable to your interpretation of his word. Let me say it that way. Our interpretation of how things, because we read the word of God as though it applies to me first. But we should read the word of God these ways. I've been going over this with my kids. The importance of seeing this, how God wrote it. First, who is it written to? First, well, why was it written to them? Why, why does he, he, he approach these subjects? Now, how does that apply to me? How does that, because they understood this. When they were reading this, King Herod understood something. He knew that there was a prophet. He would have known that there was a prophet Micah. He would have been that educated, but not educated enough. He didn't spend his 47 years learning who the God of the Jews truly is. And because he didn't spend his time the way he should have spent his time, he had to ask the, the religious leaders at the time, hey, what is said about this Messiah who is to come? I know that an age is supposed to close and a new age is supposed to open, but I, I, I never spent time learning these things. I just spent time ruling over them. See, too many of us live though his word is ancient. Instead of living as though it's living and active, that, that it's going to come to pass. 
King Herod ran out of time. It's interesting to me. The Messianic kingdom is being ushered in, and he is afraid of it. When if he were truly living a life that honored God and God's will, he wouldn't be running from it. He wouldn't be afraid of it. He would have been welcoming it. Jesus, come and reign. You see, Herod is extremely distraught, and many people will perish because of his fear. He's not the only one to be disturbed. All of Jerusalem, it says, is disturbed. As goes the leader, so goes the people. If your leader's pressing into the Lord, if your leader's growing in the Lord, so goes the people. I think back even on this country and George Washington, and many say, well, George Washington has slaves. He couldn't have been that godly. No, he, there were some things. Yeah, there's some ungodliness there. There's some history. There's some heritage. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I do know this. He pursued the Lord and the Lord's will. Just read his writings, George Washington, and then Abraham Lincoln. It's amazing. But then we have leadership that nullifies the Word of God. And what happens? So goes the leader. So oftentimes, so goes the people. So Jesus is coming to restore his kingdom, to bring in the age of the new covenant. And God has now shown up on the scene. A sign is given. See, the Magi saw a star. The shepherds saw angels in the heavens. And Joseph had dreams. God reveals himself to all of us in a way that we can understand, that we can see his sign. In Luke's gospel account of the birth of Christ, you will see these words, a sign has been given. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Maybe you need a sign. Now, we don't want to be the generation that Jesus speaks of. He says, this generation seeks a sign, and the only sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah. We don't want to be that people, because that people was saying, were simply saying, Lord, um, we're drifting simply because we can't see any signs. And the Lord's saying there's signs in front of you every day, and it's your choice whether you see them. The air we breathe. God reveals himself to all of us in a way that we can understand. God wants you to grow closer to him. He says this, seek me and you will find me. Knock and the door will be open. I want to reveal myself to my creation, but my creation must want that. And so a sign is given. King Herod was about his own kingdom. And then the very one that is supposed to be the expert, he had to ask the experts. And God gives us signs every day, but it's, us to up, it's up to us to see them. When the new age of the kingdom showed up, Herod didn't know what to do, so he fought it. Let's just try to keep it the same. Let's kill all the babies and let's stop the very will of God. But listen, you cannot stop God's timing. His kingdom is come. And we simply choose to be a part of it or not. A sign is given. You know, uh, what about astrologers and astronomy? I thought scripturally that was a little bit dangerous. Well, in their day and time, uh, astronomers looked at the stars all the time. They, when, they, when they would see signs in the heavens, they knew that God was going to move. Now we send satellites up and we say, oh, that's just a satellite. 
Right? We're, we're always somewhat disillusioned by some of this. But, but basically, so you have these magi who have seen a star in the heavens. I mean, this was very important in their day and time. You take it another 66 years past when Jesus, uh, when this happened, when Jesus was born, and, and you have Nero, and Nero, uh, uh, um, what was the name of the comet? Halley's Comet. Halley's Comet crosses. Y'all remember the story? And, and they became terrified because they knew that God was going to do something immense. And Nero was so afraid of it that he would take his own life because they would live in fear. Because they knew that their time was limited. And when God showed up, he's about eternity. See, we're supposed to understand the sign of the times, the time of our life. Church, the time that God has given us is very important for each and every one of us. And it is to bring His kingdom. The Christmas story, it's not just a story. It's supposed to usher in the kingdom of God. And some of you have position today. Don't waste it. Others of you are seeking. And God wants to reveal Himself to you. Too many of us think we have time, but our priorities show something far different. We're living the time of our lives and we can fit church in when he fits. We can fit his kingdom purpose in if I can fit it in. But in reality, church or God's timing, it's going to have to wait until I get the things done in my time. And it's no longer priority. It's no longer precedence. It's become, if we're not careful, Herod's time. And then time remains no more. King Herod had all kinds of time to learn and know the God he was supposed to serve. But with everything at his disposal, he chose his own way and his own ways in life. The messianic kingdom is among us today. Jesus is Lord. Whether we want to accept that or not, he is. We have the Bible. We have the knowledge. We are on this side of the cross. But it's our choice on whether or not God's time is the life that we live in the time that he's given us. Or we change that statement and simply say, I don't have time. How many times have we said, Satan may not get our salvation, but he's getting our time. It makes a difference. James tells us our lives are but a breath. And look, so were theirs. It could have been the greatest celebration ever on earth as it was in heaven had Herod recognized his time. No more time for excuses. He didn't, and so it wasn't. We must learn, church, to be on God's time. The Christmas story isn't just a story. It's the very Word of God. The, scripture, the Christmas story in 1 John says it this way, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Christmas story is living and active. And the only way it's going to be activated are through those of us who are on His time. Would you please stand? I'm going to ask if the altar team would make their way forward this morning. And as they make their way forward this morning, I want to encourage each and every one of us to think and reflect upon our time because all of us in our immediate have worked for ungodliness. And we want to sit there and point the finger at them. 
But maybe it's through us that God's kingdom is revealed to them. And for others of us, we, we say, I, I, sim- I heard a guy t- say this yesterday. He just simply said, hey, I, I want the country for my kids that I was raised in. I just want that for my children. Well, listen, every kingdom is temporary except for God's kingdom. If you want that, then you better get busy on God's time and setting up His kingdom for His kingdom purpose. And I'm not just talking about this nation. The Lord said every tongue, tribe, and nation. We have work to do, church. We've got to get on God's time. The way we do that is by coming together, gathering together where two or three are gathered in His name. There we are in His time, eternal time. So we're here to pray with you, to encourage you to go out and set up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Father God, thank you for each one this morning. Thank you for this time, your time. Father, may we always find ourselves on your time for your kingdom purpose in your name. Amen.